Tuesday, April 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. And from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Chief Investment Officer of Motley Fool, Andy Cross. Good to see you guys. Yo. Gentlemen. Uh, we've got, uh, we, we, we've got a rich full show, frankly. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk some Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, nuanced communications, uh, as part of Earnings Palooza. Um, some housing news that came out today we will get into and some, uh, some news about McDonald's, which, uh, which broke late last week. We will dig into that, but let's start with Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, shares of Buffalo Wild Wings falling this morning. First quarter earnings fell 11%, much worse than expected. And yet, Jason, they are still maintaining the guidance for the full year. They're still pretty bullish full year. This is a company you watch closely. What do you think of the quarter? Yeah, I think I jinxed it after the, after the release, after the market closed last night. The stock was up about 4.5%. And I sent out a tweet asking which was hotter, the stock or their mango habanero wings. Nice. The answer being obvious at the time, but this morning <laughs> it certainly changed gears. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's taken a hit today, but I think there are enough reasons why that's the case. And on the on the surface, it was a good quarter. I mean, they brought their, their same-store sales back up into positive territory, and they mentioned that the, the overall uh, casual dining segment was uh, clocking in negative same-store sales for the quarter. So it was better. Uh, it performed better than the market. But they face a lot of headwinds, and I think primarily it's the chicken wing costs. And, and what they're doing to address this, we knew they were testing this in a few markets, but it looks like they're going to roll this out, <clears throat> excuse me, at full throttle here now. They're going to be pricing their wings uh, based on volume and not quantity. So normally you would go in there, you'd buy six wings or 12 wings or whatever. Instead, you're going to buy a portion that they designate, which is going to be based on the weight. Okay. So maybe you get, you know, a snack serving of wings. Ultimately, if I went in there and I got six wings, Give me the maybe large. this portion. I'll just right. tell you right now, whatever the large is, that's what I'll be ordering. And, so, and so maybe you get like five wings instead of six, but the weight essentially would be the same. And so it's an interesting strategy they're rolling out, but it makes sense because they buy their wings based on weight. They buy them for anywhere from you know a dollar eighty to two hundred uh, to two dollars and forty cents per pound. Uh, so it lines up their pricing strategy more with their purchasing strategy. They've said they've tested this out in in a few key markets and that they received positive results. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how this rolls out among all of their 900 restaurants. I think it'll probably take a little bit of educating the consumer. Uh, but when you look at everything else that the business is doing, it's facing a lot of headwinds, rising costs in operations, rising costs in wings. Uh, so they have some challenges to deal with, and I think that's what the market's addressing today. So I'm basically buying my chicken wings the way I buy my salad at Whole Foods, very carefully measuring each little ingredient as I eat. <laughs> the How Samoan, many wings the do I have? Can you cut that in half? The Samoans are flying people there? the same way, right? They're flying people by weight. I mean, you know. Exactly. But, I mean, they both, the great thing with Buffalo Wild Wings is is the leadership they have at this yeah. this company. I own this stock. We followed it for, for a long time here. At Sally, Smith, right? Sally, yeah. Smith, Sally Smith, right? Sally Smith runs a company. Um, she's been through this many ups and downs. So I, I really think it's interesting as they try to take this tack to um, managing their costs a little bit better uh, with going through a new pricing strategy. This is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Companies struggle with this a lot as they make these changes, but the experience she has bringing to the, she, she brings to the table is really valuable um, at Buffalo Wild Wings, so I'm not certainly betting against her. One of, one of the things that caught my eye in the release was the same-store sales. And the fact that the same store sales among company-owned locations was pretty significantly lower than that of franchise locations. I found that surprising just because what I thought of was Chipotle and how Chipotle, for a short time, did some franchising and then 
it wasn't working for them, and they just decided from a quality standpoint they wanted to control the experience, and so they bought they essentially bought back their franchise locations. I, I mean, is that is that a blip? Is that is no, that significant? It's worth noting, and something that we look at with Buffalo Wild Wings over longer periods of time is: is there a disparity between the company-owned same-store sales and the franchise same-store sales? I've looked at that over the past five years, and they've maintained a relatively tight range. Uh, what you will see them do from time to time is to buy back those higher-performing franchises, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, personally, I, I like Chipotle's model of owning all the stores. I think that really gives them full control over the matter. Uh, but one thing I did note in this call that it wasn't, I don't think it was in the release, it was in the earnings call. They actually made just a small little minority investment in a little pizza place called Pizza Rev. And it's just a little three restaurant chain out in California, I believe. And the basic, the premise of, the, of this is that you're going through a line kind of like a subway and you're helping them assemble your pizza right there. Like they have the dough, they hammer it out, you tell them what you want on it. And da, 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 then they throw it in the oven and, and you get your pizza. And I just I look at that and that raises a lot of questions for me because I wonder at 900 restaurants today their goal is to get around 1,700 yeah. uh, you know around North America, which that's still a significant room there to grow. Right. It, but if they're looking for other growth levers already, I, I guess I'm just wondering exactly what the impetus for this investment was. I, I just hope it's not something that that takes their eye off the off the ball, so to speak, with the with Buffalo Wild Wings restaurants. But, yeah, they could just be spreading a little yeah. bit of diversification here and kind of putting not all their chicken eggs in one basket. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, um, so you're. It sounds like you are not worried, despite the quarter um, not really performing well. You, you're you're erring on the side of of guidance. Yeah, I think the quarter actually was pretty good. I mean, they got they got a downgrade or two. This morning, which I think yep. probably, and the stock had done very well, so things have been looking up. Um, Sally's actually going to be able to manage the chicken pricing on both the purchasing um, uh, practices as well as maybe some new pricing strategy, as Jason had mentioned. But this is a company that does have those tail, those those long term tailwinds going ahead of it. <laughs> guys, especially mostly guys here, mm-hmm. love chicken wings. They love. Beer, yeah, two good combinations. Sports, Sports you yep. add those into it. The way they buy the their properties, the way that they, they do their franchising operations, the growth runway here ahead. You look out in another three, four years. This is a larger, better, more profitable company, I think, and it's run by top flight management. I've, I've, I was just going to say, I've never owned the shares, but that has to do with the fact that in college I dated a girl named Sally Smith, and yeah. I'm, I still bear the scars of that relationship. So I just, I just can't, I can't pull the trigger. Let it go, on. dude. How many years ago was that? Like forty-seven. <laughs> a million. Ooh. It was roughly a million years ago. Uh, second quarter profits for Nuance Communications came in lower than analysts were expecting. The company also lowered guidance, uh, and that one-two punch has the <laughs> stock down more than seventeen percent this morning. Well, not just lower guidance, too, Chris. I mean, they, they came out with some very very bearish comments in the release. They just talked about Paul Ricci, the, the CEO, which just said that this is, you know, we are not satisfied with this result. They announced a big buyback, a $500 million buyback, I think yep. it was, um, on a $6 billion company. I mean, again, this is, you know, you look at nuances tied closely to mobile, it's tied close, closely to healthcare. Um, both those businesses, I look at long term, and I just think, you know, Carl Icahn has built up a large position of this in this stock, about nine percent of the shares. I just look at long term. There's going to be better things that are going to happen with nuance, quarter to quarter fluctuations in this stock, the way they build this business. You're going to, we're going to see this. We have seen this. The stock had run up to almost thirty, got knocked down to the teens, ran up a little bit, now back down to that nineteen dollar level. So you're going to see this fluctuation in this business, especially in a kind of. 
business that they they the, the financials are not easy to understand. You read through the release, you talk through the company. It's a lot of non-gap this, non-gap that. Try to understand how the core business is doing. So this is one that investors have to be able to buy and really look out that three to five year time period and let their uh, let the management run this business. You mentioned Paul Ricci, the CEO, and his comments. Uh, this is a direct quote from the release. We are disappointed with our results for the second quarter, which were driven by a combination of execution issues and external factors. That's pretty damning, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, um, yeah, there were external factors, and also uh, we didn't have our stuff together, and we couldn't get stuff done. It's yeah. like, uh, that's that's just... Yeah, that's that would cause me to be bearish. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. And it's not the case that you know, putting your head in the sand, and just holding the stock, and you know, being you know, forgetting it. It's important that investors look at the the stocks that they're um, the companies and how the companies you know are performing. I think what I'm saying is that Nuance, um, for many many years, they're a leader in the space. They do have those longer term tailwinds. The world is becoming more mobile. The world is becoming better um, equipped with voice recognition software, which is what Nuance specializes in. Yep. They're a leader in there. You know, some of the European business is going to hurt them. Some of the car business is going to hurt them, especially over in Europe. Again, these tend to be, I think, more um, shorter-term uh, cyclical downturns that I think when they rebound, Nuance is going to benefit. We had talked a week or two ago, Jason, about Cirrus Logic, uh, which, yes. was, which was getting – the day we were talking about it, they were getting absolutely crushed. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's a business that is tied incredibly close to Apple because yep. they are so heavily dependent on Apple. Yep. Nuance is, if I'm not mistaken, the company behind Siri. Yep. How, how much is Nuance dependent on Apple? I, I mean, is it – are they diversified, or are, is that a significant portion of their business? Um, well, I don't know that we've ever actually had it broken out to understand exactly how significant um, Apple's business is to Nuance. The, the assumption has always been that uh, being one of the, the f- sort of founders in the technology behind Siri, that it was <laughs> relatively important. Uh, that said, I think that as Apple suffers, if Apple suffers, then Nuance it's certainly not good for them, especially when you look at something like uh, you know, Google continues to roll out uh, really the same voice technology. Yeah. I mean, I can use that voice technology right here on my iPad or my iPhone as well, and, and it actually works really well. So it's certainly a very competitive space, and it's one that uh, is not just it, – it's not just a – you know, because they're with Apple, therefore it's going to work game. I mean, I think that they are certainly recognizing opportunities in mobile. Uh, I've, I've heard on calls before where they're really focusing on that next frontier of bringing this voice recognition uh, into the living room via TVs and mobile devices and how those will all interact together. Uh, so, I mean, like Andy said, I think it's, it's really one where this is a, a very long-term story and certainly the move is to mobile and to voice recognition. And uh, Nuance is one of the key players in it. And so I think that the things, there's reason to be optimistic about this company. And these, these short-term blips, actually, you could look at them as potential buying opportunities. Yeah, I would say two things, Chris. Um, uh, without having the numbers directly in front of me, um, Nuance is less dependent on Apple than Sirius is. Sirius is, which is heavily, heavily. Yeah, right. Sirius is about sixty percent. I was going to say it's about two thirds of their business. About two thirds of their business, right, is really tied to tied to Apple. So Nuance less so. Furthermore, you do have that Carl Icahn, not that uh, to trumpet Carl Icahn here, but he's an activist investor, could become more activist and pushing the board to do some interesting things. The five hundred million dollar buyback not going to cut it. But uh, to Jason's point, I see this more as a uh, uh, potential buying opportunity, and I would be long-term bullish on this story. Housing prices rose for the ninth straight month, um, up 9.3% in February. That's the biggest 12-month gain in almost seven years. Um, I was saying before we started taping, I, I, I always look at housing news 
um, not as an investor, but just as a general consumer. And so I look at this and say, well, this is good. But I, I never really look at this from the standpoint of an investing opportunity. How do you look at it? Uh, just selfishly, I think it's a, gr- it's a, it's a good way to look at the general economy given the importance of housing, especially housing construction, as we were talking before the show. Housing construction is so important to GDP growth here in this country. Um, that having been said, I don't month to month look at the numbers and certainly don't invest purely on those numbers. I'm looking for more longer term trends. We have been bullish uh, here on the housing recovery in stocks like Sherwin Williams, Home Depot, Williams Sonoma that both uh, Williams Sonoma and Sharon Williams that Jason and I follow. I think that's an interesting way to look at investing. So I like these macro themes. I think are interesting to focus on. I think investors should pay attention to some of those numbers, but don't get caught up in the minutia, Chris. That's where it gets really dangerous. If you yep. and certainly, certainly, I don't advocate any kind of trading strategy around those numbers, which a lot of hedge funds do, and a lot of hedge funds have been burned over the years for that. Yeah, and also as we were talking about when when you have. Um you know, the founders of the Case Schiller Index, you know, as we were talking about, yeah. Robert Schiller, who we've had here yeah. uh, at The Motley Fool, he's the housing expert. The index is named for him, and he's out there saying, yeah, I'm not really sure what this yeah, means. Yeah, trying to bind <laughs> from one number to the next and seasonality. He was talking about this morning, I heard, and how tricky it is to really understand that. Um Again, using that as a data point to to trade and make an investing case, I think is is weak um, uh, investing uh, theory and thesis at best. What I do like to do is find companies that are playing in that space because, given the fact that we still have, we just crossed over the million the million um, uh, mark housing construction number, which is kind of the the test of where we, where we want to be. So we're there again on an annualized basis. We're there. That's good to see. And then investing in companies that could play around that, um, both here in the U.S. as well as uh, overseas, like Williams Sonoma. Well, and it sounds like this strong housing trend could continue, particularly if, as Jason was talking about before the show, um, he buys a new place because you're, you're you're looking maybe at like a, a place by the shore. It's it's there's some potential there, I think, but we'd have to some, unload someone in your place, house maybe. related to you by marriage is advocating for that. Thanks a lot, Chris. <laughs> uh, finally, last Friday. McDonald's CEO Bob Thompson gave an interview on CNBC and just happened to casually mention that McDonald's is considering the possibility of serving breakfast 24 hours a day um, and also in high metro, highly concentrated metropolitan areas, considering delivery services as well. The delivery services, I think we've kicked that around before. The all-day breakfast thing, that that. I obviously don't know the business as well as he does because he's the guy running the company, but that kind of seems, if not a no-brainer, it seems pretty close to it. Are you a breakfast or dinner guy, Chris? Uh, well, I have kids, so yeah, of course I I'm a breakfast, breakfast for dinner, dinner guy. I mean, I think this pancakes is for dinner. This yeah, this is a certainly. Yeah, we just had that the other night, actually, French toast and grits and eggs and bacon, all that good stuff. But I think this is really when you look at the Starbucks's and the Panera's out there uh Starbucks's uh goal here with food with the La Boulange acquisition they realize that food is essentially an incremental opportunity for them and it's mm-hmm. you know people come into their restaurants every day to buy a beverage first and foremost and they feel like one out of every three transactions there's food involved with that there's a potential market opportunity really in front of them to, to add food to that and so if they can pre- present a compelling food option then those are just incremental additional sales that they're making for people to come in and i think that mcdonald's is looking at this as a potential opportunity in that regard i mean they see that 
people are going to be coming into their restaurants, whether it's morning, afternoon, or night, to grab a cup of coffee, well, then maybe they could have some compelling breakfast-style options on have the menu there. Have a little biscuit to, to go with that. Right, exactly. And so I think that's where they see this opportunity. Starbucks certainly sees the opportunity, and they're they're carrying it uh, over with their Seattle's Best concept, and they're building those little 400-square-foot drive-throughs that will be all-day coffee and breakfast sandwich-style places. Uh, so, so I think you're just you're seeing a lot of a lot of these concepts that are recognizing that opportunity out there. You know, it's interesting because Star uh, McDonald's is a food company that specializes more in food, and they sell coffee, and they've made this shift to focus more and more on coffee. Starbucks, and that's more, worked out for them, and it has worked out for them. And I think, I think this opportunity, although it is not without its challenges, I mean, there's a reason why most. McDonald's stops serving breakfast at 10.30 or 11, and they're pretty strict to that because they have to make a shift on managing the inventory, managing the process yep. to go about and make the afternoon and the, the dinner sandwiches, right? So there is that shift. So this will be a operational challenge, hence why they're just going to start testing this a little bit. Um, whereas Starbucks is a coffee company that started serving food, and now with, as Jason mentioned, La Boulange, which is this high-end cafe uh uh, concept in primarily, I think, exclusively in San Francisco, which yeah. Starbucks has now bought, and they're going to look to do some more expansion with this. And they're moving the other direction. They're a coffee company that's now moving more into food company. To Jason's point about offering more of a diversified portfolio of offerings and expand that out. Now, I was just saying on yesterday's market foolery that I, I was excited to see Starbucks come out with more specific details about how they're going to roll out La Boulange across the country over the next year and a half. But I've never been to one. You you were just at yep. one. Give me a sense of what I can yep. look forward to because, as Bill Barker has made the point a couple of times, Starbucks has done incredibly well considering they've never gotten food right. Yeah. And I would, I, 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 I would say that I agree with him in a broad sense. It's hard for me to look at Starbucks and say, "Oh yeah, they've they've gotten food right across the board." There are some things that work, but uh, largely they have failed when it comes to food, and I think that's why they made the acquisition. Yeah, I think so. I, I challenge that. I actually like Starbucks Foods offering. I mean, they they went with the sandwiches. Jim Donald introduced. They pulled back on that when Howard Schultz came back to kind of get some get back to the core. They've slowly reintroduced that. La Boulange is, is a is a um, it's a French concept, and you go into the La Boulange, at least the one that my brother took me to in San Francisco, and you feel kind of like you're in this like little French cafe from all the kind of decor they have there. You feel like you're in the little French cafe. Interesting, the at least at the one I was at, the coffee you get does not the, – the big coffee cup that you get doesn't have a handle, and you kind of drink it like almost like – It's a bowl. Like a little bowl of soup. Um, so it has this French coffee. The food was very good. The coffee was delicious. It was very crowded. People are getting both to go and also sitting there. It's not the largest footprint in the world, so yep. I imagine it's very profitable on a per square foot basis. So, like you, Chris, I'm very interested to see what a lot Starbucks of croissants does. is that it? A lot of croissants. I got a great. I, we had I had this great uh, like kind of uh, chilled oatmeal style oatmeal it was really good, and uh, my brother got a, one of those breakfast egg sandwiches that looked. Really good. And um, so I think it'll be very interesting to see how they leverage that from whether it's catering or whether it's more food offerings in core Starbucks or whether they broaden this out into, you know, more la boulanges around the world. Um, back to McDonald's for a second. Uh, I look at this move, and as I said, it, it seems to make sense, even though, as you pointed out, Andy, it's not without its challenges. It seems like, though, this could be. Uh, uh, some sort of an incremental win for McDonald's. I'm wondering, though, is there anyone out there who's nervous about this? I, on the surface, it doesn't seem like 
Panera or Starbucks would uh, immediately be threatened by this. But I'm just curious, do, do you look at this as uh, potentially a, um, if it's possibly a win for McDonald's, it's not necessarily a loss for anyone else? No, I mean, I think that I feel like McDonald's is, is sort of that story that's facing a lot of secular headwinds and sort of how people are thinking about eating nowadays. But that said, I think they're always going to have a market out there for people that want that style of fast food. So your your other players in the industry, whether it's a Wendy's or a Burger King, I mean, I think those are the ones that are probably saying, oh, man, we just, we just revamped our <laughs> menus. We we're trying to pick up some share on these guys, and now they're going to do this. Yeah. And so I think they're the, probably the ones who, who just are, are – feeling like, man, we just, we can't win for losing. And, and, and so that's probably where I fall. I mean, McDonald's has done a fairly nice job in innovating their menu and trying to get a little bit more healthy. And so I give them credit, you know, for that. This is, as Jason said, this is yet another innovation that they may go forward with to try to expand their offerings at, at, at more and more um, locations and more and more um, times and try to draw in an audience that maybe doesn't normally come into McDonald's. And for that, you got to applaud them. The, the you know, the, um, the delivery option is kind of neat as I'm sitting here starving. Um, you know, do you have the phone number handy, Chris? That They haven't rolled it out in this area yet. Sorry, man. And if nothing else, we know that come the end of the year, the McRib will be back. So yeah. there's always that. All right. Ah, the McRib. Andy Cross, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, sir. As thanks. always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So no buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't you feel like if you have McDonald's delivered to your house, you've, you've just pretty much hit rock bottom? Do you not even? Do you even have pants on? I, I, I gotta believe no. Yeah, no. I gotta believe you right answer now, that door you in your boxers. On. You might have pants, but they're stretchy pants. Yeah, that's right. They're Definitely, you haven't shaved. They're comfortable. Zumbo stretchy pants, right? Exactly. You're the retired <laughs> gym teacher.